Well, good evening. Uh, I thought I'd start by considering the meaning of Christmas. Charles Dickens said, Happy, happy Christmas that can win us back to the delusion of our childhood days, recall to the old man the pleasures of his youth, and transport the traveler back to his own fireside and quiet home. Laura Ingalls Wilder said, Our hearts grow tender with childhood memories, love of kindred, and we are better throughout the year for having in spirit become a child again at Christmas time. Norman Vincent Peale said, Christmas is the season of joy, of gift-giving, and of families united. Washington Irving said, Christmas is a season for kindling the fire for hospitality in the hall, the genial flame of charity in the heart. Calvin Coolidge said, Christmas is not a time or a season, but a state of mind. To cherish peace and goodwill, to be plenteous in mercy, is to have the real spirit of Christmas. Dr. Seuss said, Christmas doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. And in 1819, the American magazine said of the true meaning of Christmas, it's to give up one's very self, to think only of others, how to bring the greatest happiness to others. That is the true meaning of Christmas. Well, this evening, we're going to look at three important pieces of the Christmas story and define what the true meaning of Christmas really is. We're going to look at the identity of the child, and then we're going to look at our identity in the child, and then we are going to see how we can express Christmas as true Christians. The name Jesus can cause a lot of reactions. Um, try this, go walk up to a perfect stranger and say, hey, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. That will be a very short and awkward conversation in all likelihood. As a, as a subject, the name of Jesus conjures up a whole list of emotions. There's some people who even use the name of Jesus as a curse word. But to the first century Jew, a, a Jewish person during the time of Jesus the Christ, when he walked the earth, uh, it was a very common name. Uh, and that's why we see it uh, expressed, Iesu Christo, or Jesus Christ, so commonly in the New Testament. People might wonder, well, what Jesus are we talking about? Iesu is a Greek way of saying Yeshua, or Yehoshua, which we pronounce Joshua. Now, in, at IBC, we have... Uh, maybe about 200 people who regularly attend our services, and I know quite a few Joshes here. Uh, it, it's still a very common name. In Hebrew, it means uh, Yahweh saves, or Jehovah is salvation. The Greek, Iesu, means simply salvation. Both Luke and Matthew tell us that Joseph would call the child born in a manger Jesus, or Yesu. And Joseph didn't make this up on the spot. The angel instructed him that this was the name he was to give this son, that his fiancée, the Virgin Mary, would give birth to miraculously because he had no earthly father. Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 to 21, says, But as he considered these things, behold... 
an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In other words, the Bible here tells us very clearly what the true meaning of Christmas is. It's three words. Salvation has come. But there's more to it than some nebulous Messiah figure named Yeshua. Let's continue on in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 22. He says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That name Emmanuel is the same word here as it is in the Septuagint or the Greek Old Testament in Isaiah 7.14. It's the same Greek word. Uh, let's go there. Isaiah 7.14, it says, Therefore, the Lord will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now that Greek, it's just a transliteration of the Hebrew. So in Hebrew, Greek, and English, it's all pronounced pretty much the same, Emmanuel. And the word means God with us. And what's important about Matthew having appealed to this prophecy is that, that it comes with a very important statement here. Again, in Matthew 121, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. What? For he will save his people from their sins. So salvation comes from God. The name Jesus means salvation. Luke would later quote Peter in Acts chapter 4, speaking of Jesus. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. But again, salvation comes from God. Psalm 62, 1 says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. Jesus is the salvation of God. And Jesus would also be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Do you see where all this is going? Jesus Christ is God Almighty. You can't get around that. John 1.1, 1, 1, many of us have... Uh, even memorized this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That word logos, or Word, is referring to Jesus. Even the Arian cultists, such as like Jehovah's Witnesses, would agree with that much. But then, it's, then it continues in verse 14, John 1, 14. John 1, 14, it says, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So when Mary and Joseph and the shepherd and the, the shepherds, the angels, uh, the magi, when they looked upon that baby in a manger, they were looking into the face of God. And that's why some Christians actually, believe it or not, they won't even use a nativity or at least one with a baby in a manger. Because they would see that as a violation of the second commandment, uh, which says not to cover yourself an image or, or image of or that would represent God. It's considered idolatry. They call it a 2CV or a second commandment violation. And now, personally, I think when you read the second commandment, 
it isn't about the image itself. It's about the worship, and, but, but it's, it's how a lot of Christians see it. So, and I, I can respect that. The reason is because when we put it all together, we cannot deny that Jesus is God. That's the identity of the baby in the manger. So what does that do for us? How do, can our identity be in the child? Let, let's move forward uh, past that maybe 33 years that Jesus lived until he was crucified and then he rose from the dead. And, and let's settle a little bit later into the ch uh, early church in the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 11, you could turn there if you'd like to. Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 25. Acts 11.25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were, this is the important part, first called Christians. Now, if you remember, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ of God in Luke. Um, and we... When we use the term Christ, that's the Greek word for Messiah, just chosen one or anointed one. Um, so we're specifically identifying Jesus as Messiah, the promised Messiah. The word Christ recognizes the true meaning of Christmas, which is, once again, salvation has come. And it proclaims that Jesus is God. And what's interesting is that the church in Antioch was, it's this ethnically diverse place. People had come from all over the place. They had different kinds of worldviews and ideas. And to this point, the people who had continued following the teachings of Jesus were called uh, typically the way or the people of the way. Uh, also, they were called disciples of Jesus. That just means followers of his teachings. Uh, they were called saints means holy ones. Uh, they were also called uh, brothers and witnesses, among other things. But here in Antioch, they became known as Christians. It's an important word. And what's important about this is the issue of identity. Jesus wasn't just a Jewish guy whose name happened to mean something about salvation. No, he was and is salvation, and he's called God with us. So his entire identity revolved around God's salvific presence with humanity. That he's with us and that he saves us. It isn't just what he does, it's who he is. And, and that's what's so significant about the followers of Jesus being called Christians in Antioch. It was their identity. It's how they were known. When they did business, this is how they were referred to. Imagine, you know, when I was an electrician back in the day, imagine if, you know, one of our clients had a machine go down. And within the business, you hear, you know, hey, Juanita, the binder's down. See how quickly you can get Jeff the Christian over here to fix it. That's what it would have been like. It, we, we, we would be called the Christians, right? Uh, and if you were a Christian, you would be, whatever your name is, the Christian. It was the, it was the identity of the person. Being a Christian was central to their identity. James Boyce said, they are Christ ones. They are trying to be like Jesus. Kent Hughes said, 
Christ was so much on those believers' lips, they lived so like Christ, no other name would do. In 303 AD, the martyr Andronicus, he was to be executed for his faith after he'd been whipped and his, his wounds rubbed with salt. He was brought out, he was thrown to the wild beast, he was killed with a sword. But before he was killed, this is what he said. He said, do your worst. I am a Christian. Christ is my help and my supporter. And thus armed, I will never serve your gods, nor do I fear your authority or that of your master, the emperor. Commence your torments as soon as you please and make every use of every means that your malignity can invent. And you shall find in the end that I am not to be shaken for my resolution. Do your worst. I am a Christian. That's what it means to be in Christ. That's what it looks like to have our identity in the child who is the God of our salvation. Whose identity changes everything for us. Are you a Christian first? Above all other things. Because a Christian is a Christ follower. And a Christian can say with the Apostle Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. See, if Christ is in us, Christ will flow from us. Paul's a Christian. He's also a leader. There, there's this discipleship model where one should always have someone ahead and someone behind. That is, that we should always have somebody that's, that's leading us spiritually. And then we should always have someone whom we are leading. As we see Christ, the meaning of, uh, of Christ rather, meaning that Jesus is our God and salvation present with us, and we accept the name Christian, what does that say about our identity? God the Son could have remained on his throne and allowed all of us to pursue the sins that we so wanted to and, and reap the consequences of our own behavior. He could have done that, but he didn't. The word became flesh. The God of creation stepped down from his throne to be born outdoors in filthy conditions because there was no room at the inn. And then like we saw on Sunday, if you were here, the creator became homeless in his own creation during his ministry to others. And his mission, including what it would cost them to fulfill that mission, became part of his identity. You know, some traditions, you may have seen this have, uh, they like to have a crucifix. Have you seen that? It's the cross that has a depiction of Jesus hanging on the cross. My grandmother, she was a devout Italian Roman Catholic woman, and there was a crucifix over every bed in her home because in, in her mind, she, it was an image to her of Christ's blood, his redemption covering uh, the people that would sleep in those beds. Well, we usually have a cross that does not have Jesus on it because he's no longer on the cross, right? He died, he was buried, and he rose from the dead. And so we celebrate that. But, but the reality is both forms of the cross really are accurate. Right? The cross isn't just part of his mission. It's part of his identity. So what then is our identity as Christians, as Christ ones? How does our identity inform 
who we are. What does that baby in a manger teach us about how to do life? And here's the real challenge. People will know you for who you are. Would it surprise you if you were to be introduced as whatever your name is, the Christian? Furthermore, would you be able to say something like, Hi, I'm Jeff the Christian. Follow me and I'll show you Jesus. We began with a bunch of statements about Christmas. They weren't all bad, even though the true meaning of Christmas really is salvation has come. We should be generous and selfless and joyful. We should try to come together with our families and love and, and not discuss politics, right? I had to, had to put that in there, right? It's because we're all going to be with our families tomorrow, right? It's, it's good that we look back and fondly recall a more innocent time. But the true meaning of Christmas, let this sink into your hearts, is salvation has come. And if salvation has come and our identity is in the one whose identity is salvation, we ought to known by, be known by that, right? When everyone else is doing Santa Claus, who, by the way, there, there's actually a St. Nicholas, very devoted and generous Christian who loved Jesus and for who Jesus was, was very passionate about the person and work of Christ. But whatever it may be, they're doing Krampus and they're doing Elf on the Shelf. They're, they're uh, entering their Christmas celebrations with all the traditions, most of which are probably fine and good. Are people going to see you? Will they see you and think of Christ in the manger? Salvation has come. And when the conversations lend themselves to talking about the true meaning of Christmas, will you remember that he was called Jesus and be a reminder to the world that salvation has come? When people see you, will they see Jesus? When people identify you, will, you, will they say, Christian? As we move into our candle lighting, let me leave you with one more quote about Christmas. Will, Will Ferrell said, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Uh, well, okay, so I will concede that Will Ferrell is, is probably a terrible theologian. But I think that's great advice, to tell you the truth. When we think about it, because those of us who have repented of our sins and placed our faith in Jesus, we, we have all the promises of Christ, right? And, and so we could sing loudly. We could lift our voices to honor him. We can sing Silent, light, silent Night very loudly, right? And, and we can do that. And that would be glorious. And so as we move into this time of candle lighting, let us reflect on the goodness of God and what it means to us that salvation has come. Let us pray. Our holy God, we bow our heads in humble adoration of our Lord Jesus. We honor him for who he is, for what happened the night he was born. Salvation has come to us those of us that were beyond saving, that we may have eternal hope and confidence that he who began a good work in us is faithful to bring it to completion. 
Oh, forgive us, God, for we have not loved you with all our hearts, minds, souls, and strength. And we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Create in us new hearts, O oh Lord, hearts that cry out. If they see us, may they see Christ, that he would increase in us and that we would decrease so that his glory is manifest in us. May we not just accept or receive the title Christian, but may it be our true identity that we may be known as Christians, as Christ ones. We offer ourselves over to you as we celebrate the birth of Jesus among family and friends. May we see that as our mission field and remember Emmanuel, God with us until the end of the age. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.